and welcome to the latest installment of the Run to Daylight podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. You can find me on Twitter right there, at Todd from PA. I'm joined today by uh, Zachary Kruger, FFT, FF Troglodyte. We'll get into that and um, say hello to him in a few minutes. Uh, this is our second podcast. Uh, it is a bonus podcast as I wanted to get Zachary in and I was already scheduled for the next couple of weeks with Eric who couldn't make it tonight, who will join us next Friday. Um, so excited to be doing a podcast with Zachary. We're going to go over his uh, two recent articles on ADP. And um, we, we want to do regular ADP shows, as I always have. And we're going to try and share the screen and show you his article a little bit and some of the Rotoviz tools that he uses uh, to, to uh show why there are certain players that he is fading and certain ones that he thinks, um, well, it's more that he thinks ADP is going to either go up or go down. Uh, and um, it's really interesting because a lot of the guys on his list, I ended up drafting last night. So we'll also go over that. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at the FFPC, home of Dynasty, home uh, uh, from $35 all the way on up to high stakes, home of the FBG tournaments, the main event. Both of those will have $500,000 up top. Um, And last night I did a live best ball that we're going to go over. As I mentioned, you can visit them at myffpc.com. That's M-Y-F-F-P-C.com. And you will find me in a lot of these drafts. Um, right now, that is where I'm playing my basketball. So, Zach, uh, well, is it Zach or Zachary? Can you hear me? I just had to unmute this mic. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. No, uh, Zach or Zachary. Start, whatever, 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 <laughs> whatever you, whatever, whatever you want to go with is good with me. Zach or Zachary. It's pretty uh, been evenly split across the course of my whole life, so I'll, I'll answer to either. Todd. All right, cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, what is a troglodyte? I mean, I think we all have heard the term, but not everyone knows what it is and why you chose it uh, among the many names you could have chosen. And now you're stuck with it. Yeah, now I'm stuck with it. I've actually debated changing it uh, in the past, but not not yet. But um... May, May I recommend the troglodyte? (laughs) <laughs> hey, it might it might it might not be a, a bad name here. We'll see how the show goes. Maybe I'll change it in honor of you. But um no, to go back, actually, I'm uh maybe I could change it to Zach from PA. I'm from Pennsylvania as well. Um I actually grew up in the uh Hanover, Pennsylvania, Glenrock, Pennsylvania area, if you're familiar with it. I think it's just a few miles south of where you're at. Um so oh, really? Yeah, I believe so. It's south probably, of the Lehigh Valley? Yeah, yeah. I'm, it's southern York County. Um, so I, oh, I grew yeah. up... York is uh, closer to Maryland. Yes, yeah, yeah I, I literally a was a minute, about a minute from the Maryland line. Actually, is where I grew up at. But um, okay. yeah, yeah, so that, that's, that's two hours from here. Yeah, yeah. So grew, grew up in Pennsylvania. Currently live in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, with, with my wife. Uh, we've been here for a few years now. But then, uh, that's yeah, a nice area. I yeah. used to cover that. Um, that that's basically DC suburbs. Yes, I'm actually a mile from D.C., so it's yeah. it's right there. We're, we kind of get the best of both worlds with both a little bit of Maryland and D.C., and we're also just a handful of miles away from Virginia. So we we, we get around the uh, the DMV for sure. But, yeah, um, and, and 495 is one of the worst 
that that's the worst trafficked. You know, I was a sales rep up and down the East Coast for many years, and that was the worst traffic, worse than New York traffic. I always have the advantage because where I work, I'm always going away from D.C. as everyone else is coming into work. And then when I'm coming home to work, everyone else is leaving D.C. and coming back. So I tend to actually catch the better side of traffic. Uh, But where I work in Baltimore County, um, there's definitely a lot of traffic on the left-hand side as I'm heading into work. It's very busy there. But um, What What do you do for a living? Uh, right now I work at a, a property management company. Oh, so, nice. so just apartment leasing, property management, uh, all, all working up to that big dream of being able to put in my two weeks and get that full-time fantasy gig. Right. But, um, dream, <laughs> maybe dream, one day, you know, however you want to, uh, maybe one day, but, well, um, uh, hopefully your wife works if you're going to work in the fantasy industry. Yes. Yes. She's, uh, she's, she's a boss. She's actually just now wrapping up her, uh, her master's degree um, currently. So, so she'll be able to uh, take care of me as I pursue this fantasy life. <laughs> hey, look, man, if you can pull it off and you can make it work, you know, but it ain't easy when you live in the East coast and things are very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, so a little bit of a, a background on me from a fantasy perspective, I guess I've been playing since like 2007 2008 maybe um really got more into it in 2016 2017 and decided that in 2017 i wanted to pursue doing actual fantasy analysis and writing so i um i started with doing with player profiler um dot com you know doing um articles along with uh being a part of matt kelly's game charting crew which i did for i think 2017 2018 to 2019 season so three years of game charting what's, for what's him he like in real life you matt know, he- uh, I don't have a lot of, I would say, real life uh, conversation with him, but I mean, he's a very cool guy. He's always been, you know, very supportive, helpful whenever I had any questions or anything like that. Um, he he was the one that gave me my first chance to do any kind of writing. I had no background in fantasy writing whatsoever. Um, so super thankful for him to, you know, give me the opportunity to write for his um, for his website. Awesome website. Definitely um, one of my go-tos. And uh, yeah, I mean, Matt, Matt's a really cool guy. I had a chance to talk to him sometimes. It was, you know, more so more so business and writing and content related, but definitely um, definitely one of the uh, definitely one of the top dogs in the in the fantasy industry. Not just from a, a content okay. and podcast perspective, but also um, definitely a, a good guy, good good human being. I definitely appreciate of Matt Kelly for sure. Um, but yeah, I started there, and then um, I recently started with Rotoviz this past June, um, and. Up until about, I guess, two weeks ago, Rotoballer actually reached out to me as well and asked me if I'd be willing to do any content for them. So I just started doing a little bit of Rotoballer content. I currently have two articles out with them. Um, I'll be probably looking to do a, a third one come up here in another week or two. But um, right now, everything I've done has just been strictly writing, and I'll be hopefully finding new ways and new avenues to bring fantasy content as I look to uh, hopefully expand my horizons in the content production department and bring what i hope is solid content podcasting uh you know youtube videos whatever whatever i can do i definitely am trying to take a more open-minded approach to 2021 and move past just being the the uh the the faceless voice behind the keyboard i really want to kind of step forward and, and do a little bit more than writing this year so hopefully that'll happen well you're off to a good start here um we are looking for people to do um adp work which is what you're here to do today so um, you know, I've had people start out on my pod and go well past what I've done. So, uh, maybe you'll be next. Um, let's, um, let, let, all right. So 
Uh, two big pieces of news came aboard uh, just recently. Um, well, three actually. Um, the first one was the Green Bay Packers have re-signed Aaron Jones. Uh, you've been tracking ADP. Jones has been going mid-second round up until this point. Uh, what do you think about the signing of Jones and what it'll do to his ADP? Yeah, um, I'm sorry. By I had the way, the wrong we never. You know up. what? Hold on. We never did find out troglodyte. Let's go back a little. Oh, you know what? I was actually, I think the, one of the first podcasts I was on uh, a few months ago, Blair Andrews actually asked me about that, which I thought was a cool question. That was obviously for Rotoviz. Um, it was a word I had never heard before. Are you familiar with the Preston Steve show out in Philadelphia? No. Okay. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a morning talk show. Uh, Steve Morrison is a former con comedian. Preston Elliott, he's a, a, a career a career. Uh, radio DJ, but they got a lot of humor and a lot of funny little things that they throw around. And at some point in time, uh, there's just a show someone used, uh, they, they referred to someone as a, a knuckle dragging troglodyte. And I just thought it was such a wild sounding word. And it was right around the time that I was getting ready to begin, uh, embarking on being more of a, um, a fantasy content producer, uh, the, you know, maker, whatever. And I was like, I need to have something crazy. Like, you know, what, What's something that'll catch people's attention? So I went with FF Troglodyte. Uh, I guess it, I guess it's worked out. Um, I, I, the only time I've been questioned I about is when I hit the FF, podcast. I would have went with FF Krugerrand. <laughs> I may, maybe maybe I should have. And uh, now sometimes I do see some people's names, and I'm like, ah, maybe the the self, best way to self brand is to actually have your name plugged in there. You know, you see like uh, Davis Maddock, Peter Overzet. They get right to the point. You're not going to forget who they are because they have both their their name and then also. Uh, their handle is the same thing, but for now, uh, I, I like the I like the banner at the bottom there. But for now, I'll stick with FF Troglodyte and see funny that see I where it that gets ready me. To go. Ironically, ironically, it was already set to go. It's uh, you have to know my sense of humor. You, you've it, definitely been here for a minute. From the uh, uh, Lethal Weapon Two, that guy, okay. you know, they were they were doing, um, you know, it was all about Krugerrands. And the okay. guy always goes, diplomatic immunity. <laughs> I've seen the, f- I've probably seen them all, but I, they're definitely not movies I've seen more than once, even though I should. I've, I've, uh, I've caught all the diehards, you the know, I know like the Rambos and stuff. over and over again. The first yeah. diehard, I mean, the first um, Lethal, Lethal Weapon is as good a movie as, uh, action movie as I've ever seen. Maybe I'll see if I can settle in and watch it tonight and then I'll get back to you later on after I've refreshed myself on it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. So um, let's get, uh, let's get your thoughts on Aaron Jones and what this is going to mean to his ADP. And then also um, how far do you think Corey Dillon, I'm Corey Dillon, um, AJ Dillon is going to drop? Sure. I'm trying to actually pull up the ADPs here real quick, but you said Aaron Jones was going around the mid second round, early yeah, third, and, right? And Dillon was going fifth round a, uh, Fifth, some I got him in the sixth month, once, yeah. um, which I'm not as happy about as I was at the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I I think the case for Aaron Jones is going to be interesting, largely because I I'll be curious to see, and I don't know if we can really confidently say just yet, but were people drafting him based on the idea that he was going to stay with Green Bay? Were they drafting him based on the idea that he was going to maybe go to um, another team and be perhaps more of a, the true bell cow, um, 
you know, the one thing I as mean, this a is right around where he was going last year. It, I mean, you would get him mid to late second round last year, and he's mid um, to mostly mid a second round now. Um, I think he's going to push up a little bit. I think people are going to figure that he is going to get more passes uh, unless they resign a third guy. Uh, I mean, that would really be a cluster bomb if they resigned uh, Jamal Williams too. Yeah, and and I think um, you know that could that could certainly happen. But I also maybe wonder is the kind of money that he's going to want now that they put more money into Aaron Jones possibly going to mean that they move on from Jamal Williams, who may demand a little bit more money than someone else they can bring in, um, either off the streets or through the draft. Um, but the one thing that I think is interesting with Aaron Jones is that he's obviously been a very solid producer. He's also been incredibly efficient of a producer. For someone who has only logged 300 touches once in the first four years of his career, he manages to do a lot with his opportunities. Uh, for the last two seasons, actually, one of the um, one of the metrics I like to look at at Rotoviz is fancy points over expectation. And for the last two seasons, I'm sorry, for the last three seasons, he's actually ranked inside the top 10 in fantasy points over expectation, um, which is pretty much a metric that's exactly what it sounds like. There's um, a certain number of expected fantasy points that comes with each touch, each area of the field, and then there's those who do far more with that single touch um, than maybe what would be expected on any given Which is um, why there were a lot of people hoping he would end up somewhere else where he might get more touches. I I think it's fool's gold to expect him to get more touches than he did in the past. Uh, At the same time, you know, uh, Dylan isn't the receiver or the blocker that Jamal Williams was. I think the question is, are people going to think, you know, in Green Bay think that Aaron Jones can block enough, um, uh, you know, to be that third down back? Um, I think that's, that's, uh, if they do and they trust him in that role, then um, I think you'll see a little bit more A.J. Dillon on first and second down than you did Jamal Williams. And I think Aaron Jones stays on the field on third down, which is will give him a slight boost. Yeah, um, he's definitely probably going to be the third down back. I, I think the real question is going to be, like you said, first of all, are they going to resign Nate? Um, I'm sorry, Jamal Williams, but then also um, how are they going to treat I think the real question is A.J. Dillon going forward um, if they do opt to keep Jamal Williams. Certainly if it ends up being um, the decision that they go with is to cut Jamal Williams, I think maybe you're looking at certainly more early down he's work a for... He's agent too. Yes, so, yes, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think I think right now, I think the only way Jamal Williams makes it back is if he doesn't get signed in free agency. I don't think they're going to pay him a free agent contract. But if he's still on the market in a month or two and they can get him for the minimum, uh, mm-hmm. I think they would. Um, yeah. I think the, the the fear is, for me, is that the Packers don't make sense. And we talk. I talk a lot about, um, you know, which coaching staff can you uh, expect to have rational thoughts and which one you can't. Mm. And unfortunately, I don't know that you can trust that the Packers are going to be rational, which is... The only knock that I have here. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that uh, your belief in that is certainly uh, 
well justified. I mean, just look back at what the draft ha- what happened with the draft last year. Uh, even even if the uh, front office maybe had a little bit to do with that, at the end of the day, I'm, I would like to think that the head coach also played a role in allowing those first two picks of the draft to not be anything that really helped Aaron Rodgers and what could have potentially been um, you know a stronger Super Bowl run had those first two picks been spent on not a quarterback and not, yeah. not a I mean, running we back. We could get into that uh, for <laughs> another 10 minutes. Right. But let's move on to A.J. Dillon and his, you know, give me a round. Just, you know, if he was in the fifth or sixth, uh, give me a round where you think he would go and where you would be interested in him. I, at this point in time, I feel like he's going to be looking more at a double-digit round going forward. Um just looking at him right now, he's currently at a 51.2 ADP. So that is what, just at the beginning of the fifth round. And now you're looking at a guy who we, until further notice at least, have to imply is going to be uh, a backup. And if Jamal Williams comes back, he may just be relegated to a, a role where he's seeing less than 10 opportunities a game. There's going to be a lot that's up in the air with both A.J. Dillon um, and possibly Jamal Williams if they bring him back. So, uh I'm probably not too interested in him beyond uh, or any time before double-digit rounds. I think there's a couple players who, even if I don't think they're the sexiest names, I think that um, they could possibly land in spots that bring a little bit more value at the spots that they're going. Uh, Obviously, the two rookies, Javante Williams and Travis Etienne, um, they could certainly have a lot of value in their their fourth, early fifth round spots right now they could easily also be seen to move up into the the top three rounds by the time the draft is finished and then uh that was a good point that you made in your article about how ceh last year was the fifth sixth round pre-draft and he he jumped a couple guys who were being drafted ahead of him he jumped uh, all of them which which is which is why guys you know i didn't mention zachary's an active drafter you know there's some guys who write and there's other guys who Right, but they also draft, and Zach is a. Uh, you're pretty active out there. I I try to be. Uh, I really got into doing the best ball stuff last season. Um, it was certainly a learning curve. There are a lot of things I could have done better last year, um, but then I am also yeah yeah. Um, it wasn't I mean, my what, best year. We'll chalk it up to a weird COVID season, but um, it was my first year really exploring the um, the format on a. Um, on a, on a heavier basis. I think prior to last year, I had literally done one best ball draft and it was just some random thing. My buddy pitched to me a few years ago. Um, but I, I got into the tools at Rotoviz a little bit, which are really awesome. Super helpful. Mike Beers does a great job with that. And, um, Last year, I did most of my stuff on the Best Ball 10 platforms. I did a little bit of underdog. I did a little bit of drafters. This year, I'm really trying to focus on FFPC, mainly because um, I like a lot of their different formats that they offer. I also love that they do Superflex, which I haven't done yet. And then I just think that the um, throwing the wrench in there with the tight end premium scoring makes it even a little bit... Um, makes it a little bit more fun to uh, kind of draft with you got you feel like you have a few more options available to you with the tight end premium scoring um but yeah, yeah i've I, been I, i've been active in the draft streets a little bit i i feel like you know besides you know my partnership with them uh, i partnered with them ultimately because it's my favorite place to play right now right i i actually took a little bit less uh, money to do it um and um you know, so when I when I do my little thing, 
you know, or talk about the FFPC because I, I feel like my brand is that I am who I am, right? I, I don't put on illusions. Um, and so the place that I play, uh, you know, it, it's important. So uh, for me, I love the 28 rounds. I love how you only have to start two wide receivers instead of three. Mm-hmm. I think that changes things. And one of the big things that I didn't do the last year was I didn't use the tools at Rotoviz as much. I trusted in my fat head, and uh, it, it cost me. So that wasn't the only reason why I was going through a divorce, all sorts of craziness. I wasn't focused. I didn't do my research. But the the, the key point was that um, these tools that F, uh, I feel right now that the FFPC tools on Rotoviz are the best tools on Rotoviz. Uh, the command setter is just the nuts. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so um, w- 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 if not this episode, another one, I will go into that um, and show everyone. Uh, but um, I-, I feel like you're at a, you know, especially in a format where only one guy's going to win, I feel like not having the best tools um, is really leaving money on the table. So the other big news, and we'll do this one quickly so we can get into your article and, and get everything done we want to, uh, but Drew Brees retiring and Taysom Hill uh, going and um, redoing his contract so that they could get under the cap uh, and maybe <laughs> lowering his uh, contract so that they can bring in competition in the name of Jameis Winston. Um I mean, I think everyone expected Breeze to be gone. And it's so funny how ADP doesn't catch up. You know, that's one I hadn't hadn't drafted Taysom Hill yet. Hadn't drafted Jameis Winston yet, but I know a couple guys did. And uh, one guy was drafting them together, figuring one of them's going to be the starter uh, on a good offense. So um, I, I expect Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston's ADP uh, to rise a bit. Would you agree? Uh, I I would agree, and obviously we're going to get a little bit more clarity with that once we actually see what happens in free agency, um, which starts, I believe, I mean, it's next week, right? I think it's March 17th is when it starts, so we might even have an answer as soon as then. Um, But right now, just taking a quick look at it, um, where we're sitting right now, Winston's currently got an ADP of 135.7. Taysom Hill is well behind him at 208.7. Um, so we got a we got a pretty big disparity there as far as the ADPs go. Um, I mean, Taysom Hill is pretty much free. If you if you don't believe in Jameis Winston, you think there's any remote possibility that Taysom Hill could be the starter in a format where you want to grab three quarterbacks, um, making him making Taysom Hill your third quarterback in the late in the early two hundreds pick is definitely not a bad um, it's definitely not a bad value there if he ends up being the starter. Um, even if he starts five or six games, I mean, because of his right. running ability, um, his, you know, it's, uh, and, and that'll lead us to, let's get over to your article. I'm going to share here the screen and you guys, instead of seeing our pretty face is going to see my screen for now. And there we go. It's one of the great things about video. And let's get over to his article, Zachary Kruger. Um, also, if you want to support Zach, go in uh, and find the article and then join Rotoviz. It really, it's a, it's a no-brainer. 
for what you get for what you pay, it is um, it's the best value out there. So I'm a big believer in it. Um, I don't work with them anymore, but um, I, I I think that they're great. So quarterback riser Jalen Hurts. This is somebody you predicted would rise, and he certainly did. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Hurts, uh, at the time when I published my first article, um, it was actually on February 1st. So um, the Super Bowl at that point in time hadn't even passed yet, but draft rooms are open. So I kind of tried to get ahead of a couple things and really um, make a few predictions on kind of how I thought the season was going to unfold. Jalen Hurts was one of my favorite quarterbacks heading into last season, um, mainly because of that Konami code rushing upside. He was obviously the the best dual threat quarterback in the draft last year um and he he presented an option to um teams to be a little bit more mobile with their passing game if they opted to do so and i was really hopeful that he would go to a team where he could be a starter as a rookie that obviously didn't really happen obviously you know things didn't go well with carson winston ended up being the case late but i'm very optimistic on jalen hurts um it was just a few years ago that we were taking uh Lamar Jackson you know in the eighth ninth tenth round in 2019 and he ended up blowing up to being a league winner and I think that Jalen Hurts is rushing upside certainly presents that same kind of possibility when you also factor in his ADP where you can get him as a quarterback too um in your draft so Jalen Hurts has gone up significantly uh since I first published the article um I'm trying to see here real quick I had at the time I first published it was at 122.5 QB18 uh my article that I just published last week he's moved up to 79.1 overall QB13 so uh he's really risen up the boards and uh I I like his rushing upside I I'm hopeful that the Eagles do better than go out and draft the quarterback at the 6th overall pick I don't think they will but you never know I, I, you never know but right now <laughs> I I feel like so I was drafting a ton of Hertz uh, about the time you wrote the article, and I still think he's a good value. So th- can you see the screen right now in my draft yesterday? Yeah, yep, I can see it. I actually pulled it up on my on my board okay, as well, good. so I can even take right, a look at so that. So the, the Shiva is Harvey Birdman. He's uh, This guy does a ton of drafts. Uh, Prestige Worldwide is Ryan Poole. They might not be too happy with me mentioning that. Mongooses is a regular uh, I see this guy a lot, um, Ben Cunningham, me, and the guy um, who made my draft in a lot of ways. Check out this draft. Um, so Najee Harris in the fourth. What team did he play for in college? Uh, yeah, Alabama. Uh, Devontae Smith in the uh, here, followed by Jalen Waddell. Followed later by Mark Ingram, also of Alabama. Mac Jones. I mean, he basically drafted the whole Alabama team from last year. Um, well, well you have to you have to question whether or not Nick Saban has a burner account on FFPC at this point in time. So that that could be what we're actually looking at. So one of the things that has really changed in the FFPC this year is quarterbacks. The quarterback run, which used to really start in the sixth or seventh and go through the ninth or 10th um, is starting way earlier. All the top quarterbacks are off the board and in live drafts, it's even uh, quicker. And with me being in the 11 spot, I felt like I needed to get two quarterbacks uh, that if I waited and I was right. So I got Russell Wilson and Jalen Hurts. I took him over Stafford. 
that's a little earlier than I'd like to take him, but I feel really good about Wilson and Hertz there. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's obviously other things we can get into later. Um, one of the things that I like to use over at Rotoviz is the Ross Construction Explorer. It's not going to like that you took Russell Wilson in the fifth round, um, but I also understand the logic behind it. And I think that that's one of the things that you have to also kind of keep in mind is using a little bit of perspective with the tools, because if you don't get that first quarterback, um, you know, before the run, now you're really looking at adding quarterbacks who are going to be um, possibly QB twos more than QB ones and trying to find the right combination of those. So at the time when you took Russell Wilson, it looks like there was already five, six, seven. I mean, you're looking at seven quarterbacks off the round. I think Wilson was the eighth QB off the board and they were all actually ninth. It looks like, because I didn't miss my homes up there. So you're looking at taking quarterbacks early, but I think that you played the room right and seeing that things were happening a little bit sooner than you would like. Um, and rather than be caught, you know, behind the eight ball, you went ahead and got in front of everything. Um, and running it back with Hertz in the sixth round um, is right around where his ADP is right now. It's a little bit early, but it, I, I think if you get the guy who you like and you believe in his upside, then I don't think that it was it was a bad move adding him either. Um, you I, made the right decision by I, waiting later for the third quarterback as well, I think. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, that ADP explorer is only as good as, how you know, how much the drafts, mimic what happened in the past right yeah. that's why i brought up the fact that the run the quarterbacks are going earlier right in other words if you look at that tool and it's a fabulous tool the, the winning percentages are going to be uh, you know kind of worthless uh, uh on the past because if you wait now you know to the you know to when it tells you to take those quarterbacks you know you're going to be looking at you know two quarter you know quarterbacks that are way worse so mm-hmm. my theory is if the whole set of um if the whole set of quarterbacks are moving up then you draft like you know you would if it if it was a couple rounds later and i know you don't like miles gaskin as much and the, you know but with aaron jones being one of the main guys we were worried about going there I felt like getting Gaskin and Lockett, guys who, you know, uh, and pairing Wilson with Lockett, I felt like what I did was I didn't end up much worse than if I had taken Melvin Gordon at, instead of uh, Wilson and instead of Hertz, maybe, you know, Claypool you know, the drop-off to Gaskin and Lockett isn't as big of a drop-off as it would have been taking Trevor Lawrence and Baker Mayfield. Yeah, um, and and I think, again, some of this just comes down to your overall confidence in um, the positions that you could see falling to you in the event that you do decide to wait. Um, so, you like you said, you'd probably be looking at having Trevor Lawrence as your QB1 um, and then running it back with someone like Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield in order to get that QB two. Um, if you did choose to to not, um, if you did choose to wait on the quarterback position, uh, you got two quarterbacks with rushing upside. I think I think you ran it back correctly. Even though I don't love Miles Gaskin, um, 
it, it's more of an ADP thing than it is a, a performance thing. He was obviously a stud for us last year, just came completely out of nowhere. Um, my concern is that we maybe see what I think is now going to happen with A.J. Dillon, unfortunately, because I have a, a little bit of him, is that if someone else comes in to Miami's uh, backfield and has the draft capital or the big contract that we're going to see Miles Gaskin start to plummet into the double digit rounds where he um, he may not be used in quite the way that we're hoping for when we're taking him in the seventh or eighth round. Right, and the, and and that's where keeping your exposures in line on players like that. But uh, the counterpoint to that is if someone doesn't sign, then he's a third or fourth round pick in a couple months. Yeah, he probably is. He's probably moving up a little bit. Um, Significantly. Uh, Yes. Almost as significantly up as significantly down if someone does come in. So what you're doing by drafting a certain amount of that guy there is, you know, you're hoping to win those drafts or lose those drafts. You know what I mean? And that's where volume comes in, where you can take chances on guys who have – those issues. So Wilson, it's funny because, you know, I didn't look at this till after I drafted your previous guy was Hertz and now your new guy is Wilson. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that Russell Wilson's ADP over the last couple of, of weeks has kind of taken a turn that's very reflective of what we are just kind of hearing about him in the media, what we're kind of concerned about with, you know, oh, if he gets traded, where is he going to land? Is he going to land somewhere with talent? Is he going to land somewhere with good coaching? Um, and I, I believe if I remember correctly, I mentioned in my article that over the four years of FFPC data that we have, um, from 20, um, I think it's 2020, 19, 18, 17, it's four years of data. Russell Wilson has never been taken as late as QB nine, um, with the exception of after the 2018 season where he was kind of coming off of a, off of a down year. Um, and then 2019, uh, obviously he, he turned that around and he played well, but people are always thinking Russell Wilson high, close to the top five. The fact that he's falling to nine tells me that if we might maybe get a little bit more certainty with the situation, if we maybe see either he gets traded to a good team or if even the Seahawks decide to keep him and put more talent around him, maybe say, Hey, we're actually going to let Russ cook again in 2021, that maybe his ADP starts to take a, um, a turn up a little bit. And I think he could possibly be a value as that QB nine, um, you know, which is which is about a, a round or so off from where I think he should be going um, right now. I agree, and 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 he still has a, a rushing floor, not maybe what it was a few years ago. But <clears throat> what I love about that pairing is that they both have pretty good floors with their running ability. And then you know, with a guy like Hertz, I love this is this was exactly what you said, the Lamar Jackson theory, right? that if he does figure out the passing, his running isn't going to stop. That's when you start getting 30, 40 point games, right? If he throws for 280 and and two touchdowns and he runs for 80 and a touchdown, you've got a monster week. And that's what you want. You want spike weeks in best ball. So um, I am a big fan of these running quarterbacks. Uh, Very happy there. Um, And you look at one of the good guys – let me go back to sharing. One of the the good guys in the um, in that draft, team eight. 
he ended up with Ben Roethlisberger, Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson. I mean, the rest of his draft has to be really good, or he needs one of those guys <clears throat> to really perform. Uh, or, or you know, and you look at the you know his construction, rest of his construction. I'm not a big fan of either. Um, you know, I mean, that's a pretty decent start. The first, and, and then you know. I really like his draft through these rounds, but then you're looking at these quarterbacks. Um, it's not ideal. So, you know, missing out on the run can put you really far behind. Yeah, it can. And he actually even took a fourth quarterback. If you look all the way down there at the 24th round, he even took Drew Locke. So uh, from a roster construction standpoint, you generally probably don't want to be going with four quarterbacks. But I understand why he did it. He needed I'm, to. Right. He, did, like he needed to. It, I, I like it. And again, that, yeah, four quarterbacks isn't good, but, you know, these three probably aren't going to do it. So, you know, you, you at that point, you want to give this top part of the draft enough of a chance to be successful. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think if I were him, look, just looking back at, it, I probably would have um, maybe considered going with someone like Tua and maybe, I mean, obviously he couldn't take him in the 11th round, but if he just moved up his quarterback sessions a little bit later on, if you really wanted to wait on quarterback, he probably could have taken Tua in a round where he took Ben and not stack, you know, the two tight ends as early as he did in the eighth and ninth. Uh, if you want to start tight end, tight end with two of the bona fide elite tight ends, we're kind of, it's kind of a different story, but, um, he, he could potentially also be looking at a few bench players on his team, um, when he when he factored in those two tight ends to go with the four running or the four wide receivers and the three running backs out the gate, I think I think moving up and not getting one of those players and going quarterback earlier would have allowed him to still kind of play a later round quarterback strategy. But but having more confident in that first star that would have avoided you from having to take four. I love the Will Fuller pick this late. Um, free money. Uh, Logan Thomas was the pick I wouldn't have made. Uh, I know Lawrence and Cousins aren't exactly the best quarterbacks either, um, but I would have been very tempted to wait on tight end because the tight end the tight end run is going later, and that's the thing you have to look at when you draft. If quarterbacks are going earlier, what position is going later? And lately, it's been look at look at all the purple. The, all that purple is basically where the the pink uh, would have been in the past. Yeah, you know, so where you, you would have seen a lot more tight ends through here in the past, now you're seeing a quarterback and the tight ends are dropping. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, maybe it was just a case of where he felt like he was getting value at the position. I don't have the ADPs right in front of me at this moment. Um, but maybe it was a case where he felt like he was getting value at the position with the quarterback run and he tried to get a little fancy with it, but. Uh, I mean, Roethlisberger could give you some some usable weeks, but you're also banking on a couple lottery tickets with the rookies and hoping that you know they're, they're giving you startable, usable weeks early on. Uh, if not, you're you're giving up some value there. All right, explain this uh, chart, this Russell Wilson chart. Where do you find um, this kind of information on Rotoviz, and what's it showing here? Sure. Um, so what you're looking at is un- found under the play- NFL Player Stat Explorer at Rotoviz. And I'm actually going to pull it up here to just have a little bit closer to me here. But basically, what you're looking at is uh, a bar graph of fantasy production for Russell Wilson over the course of, I believe, is it the last three seasons? 
How many 18, seasons? 18, 19, 20, yes. 18, 19, 20, the last three seasons. Um, so that's found, again, the NFL Stat Explorer over at Rotoviz. Um, it is one of the, the premium tools that you can pull up there, but you can do this with all the different players um, You know, in, in the league. It even is adjustable to um, different formats. So if you were to look up, say, a player like Rob Gronkowski and you wanted to look at his PPR stats, but then in this case we're talking about FFPC. If you wanted to see how Rob Gronkowski performed in FFPC leagues last year, there's even a little bar on the left-hand side of the graph um, where you can go and you can actually adjust it for FFPC. Uh, I think there's also standard half PPR. I think they do DraftKings, FanDuel. It, it gives bar graphs for all the points. And then in addition to that, um, if you really want to just see how different things are spread out over the course of a season that wasn't related to fantasy scoring, you can find your targets, your pass attempts, your rush attempts, your overall opportunities, things like that, all within the NFL Stat Explorer. It's a really cool tool. Um, there's there's another chart that's on there for each player where it kind of shows their positional rank um, for different stats that are kind of relevant to their position. Here, let, me, um, let me try and pull that up. Um, yeah. NFL, NFL Stat Explorer, so right underneath of there. I think you got the weekly. Let's see. Yeah, go 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 to the um it's gonna be the first one there. The player stat. Yeah. And these are super easy images to save as well. Depending on what you're using, you can either just right click it, save it, or you can drag it down. So um you got Gardner Minshew there. We can we can stick with Gardner Minshew if we want to. We don't have to type in anything. Right, let's go. So you've got that, and then you've got matchup analysis. Yeah, that that's that's more of an in-season tool, um, but it's definitely a very useful tool as that well. Could be good for uh, that could be good for um, when you get to tournaments for week 14, 15, and sixteen. Yeah, definitely good for that. Game, Game logs, logs, which you can career. also sort by year, and yeah, then create so yeah, a lot of good cool stuff there. I'm sorry, Zach. I just wanted to, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I just wanted to show people where they could find that. Yeah. Um, this is one of my favorite tools, the mm-hmm. um, the game split stack. If you want to see what an injury or someone, um, you know, being in or out, the, the game split app is um, really good. So like, let's say um, AJ Brown and split by players that also played, let's go with, um, do like Adam Humphreys or Corey Davis or something. Yeah. So you do Corey Davis, and then you go down here, and you see that when Corey Davis is out, his receptions go up, his touchdowns go up, his targets go up, and his receiving yards go down, which is kind of interesting. Um, but it's a very small sample size. But um, that is a way that you can like also look at what's going to happen now that Corey Davis is gone. So let's move over to quarterback. Uh, previously, you were um, thinking that Tom Brady would drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hasn't really happened. What are your thoughts about Tom Brady at ADP right now? Uh, Brady at ADP, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm just scrolling here a little bit. Um, to make sure I have it correct. So he's actually moved up about two rounds. But what's interesting here to see is that um, he, he went from being the QB 12 to the QB 11. So even 
even though his round his ADP has jumped overall uh, by nearly 22 picks, the QB 11 spot is where he's being taken at now versus a QB 12. Um, I don't think that's bad. One of the things that we talk that about at Rotoviz that just shows what we've been talking about with quarterbacks. That if yeah. you want Tom Brady, you're going to have to take him earlier. Yeah, and, and where you're getting him is not a bad spot to be getting him. Um, you can take him as your QB one there. Um, obviously, you might be you might be uh, taking some risks trying to take him as a QB one, realizing he's going as a QB eleven. But depending on where you're falling at in the draft, um, Tom Brady can be a really great pick for you at that spot. Um, that would be in now. I'm trying to do mental math in my head, which is not my strong suit. But that would be in like the mid seventh round, if I remember, if I'm if I'm correct on that. Um, for Tom Brady, which is not a bad spot to be getting your first quarterback. Um, one of the other tools in um, at Rotoviz is the Best Ball Win Rate Explorer, where there's actually a positional heat map that shows how you can improve um, or hopefully not, but also hurt your your win rates based on where you're taking players, different spots in your drafts. Getting getting your quarterback one in the seventh round is not a is not a bad strategy so I, I think Tom Brady can be fine I like his weapons they got Chris Godwin back Mike Evans is still going to be there I think they have good wide receivers even if they don't bring back Antonio Brown for for their third um, wide receiver I, I have no fear of uh, someone like Scotty Miller or Tyler Johnson um, you know possibly possibly being that third wide receiver if that's the route they choose to go um, I'm actually just scrolling down my article and I actually have the heat rate explorer map there if you want to take a look at that real quick Yes. Uh, I, you mean this one? Uh, let me see what you got pulled up here. Yep. Yeah, right there. That's um, that's found under the Best Ball Win Rate Explorer tool, and it's a positional heat map that just gives uh, the the small incremental positions of the win rates. Um, I probably phrased that poorly, but you understand what I'm saying. The, the small jumps in percentage of win rates that you can get based on where you're taking players there. So you see in the seventh round that it's pretty much all coming up green. If you're taking a quarterback in that seventh round, um, which I believe I specifically specify it as a QB1 because you can adjust for QB1, QB2, that that gen- generally is an area where you can boost your win rate slightly with making a quarterback pick in that round as your QB1. But again, yeah. with the run that we're having, yeah, I think it's going to skew. I think this green area next year will mm-hmm. be up a little bit, and I don't think you're going to see this heavy pink um because um we're seeing a phenomenon we haven't seen before joe burrow is next on your list and you point out why he might fall for the very reasons i haven't been drafting him um he had a knee injury that just wasn't an acl it was um you know one of those multiple injuries uh multiple uh ligaments and that's that scares me. I mean, that's the type of guy who could easily start the season on pup and miss four or six games. Um, is that your thoughts here as well? Yeah, it was a hard one to pick um, for a, a faller there, but I try, I try to do one for everyone rather than just take the easy way out and say, ah, it's no one. Um, Burrow was just kind of an easy one for me um, because of the injury, because if you just look at the graph there, you can see that he's already beginning to dip slightly after rising uh, almost close to 80th overall. Now he's dropping back closer to 90th. So um, there is a little bit of a fall, and we really just haven't had a, any good news on him recently. Um, you know, that could just be a case of them keeping things close to the best. It could be a case of there's just no good news to report on yet. Hopefully he will be back. 
But if if he continues to fall, I would not be afraid of taking him as my, um, you know, as a QB two. But he was going as a QB eleven at the time when I first put that article out there, and he's definitely not going as that now. If he if he makes it back, he could really pay off as a QB two. I think you're going to see some nice spike weeks. He's got good receivers. Um, I, I I think that both Tyler Boyd and uh, Higgins are going um, really at good ADPs right now, mm-hmm. and uh, but a lot of it is is tied to Joe Burrow coming back healthy. I think um, the other uh, you know thing that I wanted to talk about at quarterback is I do think that Taysom Hill is a good uh, third pick. And I think, you know, you saw me do it in the in the draft. I took Cam Newton as my third quarterback really late. Uh, still has that rushing floor. People are going to be very down on him because of how bad he looked after he got back from COVID. Uh, but it was kind of a perfect storm of crap for New England last year. So it'll be interesting to see what players they surround him with and whether or not they add a third quarterback. But I think that late, that that's a no-brainer for me. Yeah, uh, Cam was a frustrating player to have rostered at times last year. Even even though he got you there at the end of the at most of the games, there were certainly some later on in the season where he didn't. Um, at one point in time of the year, because I had him rostered on a team I was just looking at, trying to figure out why I was stressing out for the first three quarters of all the Patriots games where I had him starting for me. And it was really just because he wasn't really turning into Super Cam early on until that fourth quarter. Um, that's a really old tweet. I can go back and find you and send you at some point in time. But um, yeah, I like that they brought him back. The Patriots are in one of the better salary cap spots for this offseason. I think they have an opportunity to hopefully get some things right, hopefully put some some pieces around Cam that will um, really let him show what he has left in the tank without having to try to you know work with less than stellar talent at the various positions that uh, he was forced to work with last year. I mean, I can, what, what was he working with? He, Jacoby, My- when Jacoby Myers is the highlight of your offensive package, no that, one could get open. Yeah, no you one know, could and, get open. And, and, and Cam, the you know, um, no one could get open. Uh, and that doesn't take away with how bad he looked. Yeah. Um, but um, again, you know, Cam Newton has that rushing floor. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so as a third, you know, a guy who's going to get you 10 to 12, 10 to 15 points every week. Um, and then if he has a good passing week, you know, from your third quarterback, what you're really looking for is three or four weeks where he can get you 25 to 30 points when your other guys aren't. And yeah. I, I and, you know, I, I think that we often get caught up in when people are taken and that doesn't give you the context of what kind of players you're drafting and when you're drafting them, right, mm-hmm. and, and how you're mixing them together. So, you know, for me to add Cam as a third running quarterback, um, you know, every week I could have one of those monster games, you know, where I, I get two rushing touchdowns and two passing touchdowns and 40 points. Those are the – to me, that's what I want out of my quarterback. I want – Spike weeks up because quarterback scoring tends to be so flat. Mm-hmm. There's my hand going across the screen. Um, I found I wrote an article about spike week quarterbacks for Rotoviz a number of years ago, mm-hmm. and I think spike weeks are important. And we're going to have um, another guy, Michael Dubner, on just recently wrote an article about spike weeks. 
But I feel like at the quarterback position, even more, you want those guys who are going to give you the spike. Yeah, I agree. And I think that where you're getting Cam at, and like you said, you don't need a lot of them. Um, if if the Patriots do make him the starter, even for a handful of weeks, it could only take those first handful of weeks for him to actually get you there and be worth the value, even if they decide to go with another quarterback later on the season, if it's just not working out that well. Uh, I think that Cam can definitely still be a value for you at that pick if he is indeed the starter early on and if he has a few weapons to work with. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So at running back, we've already covered Corey Dillon. And, um, you know, you thought his ADP would rise and it was. Uh, but Uncle Lenny is a very interesting player. And I, I, I you know, I don't want to I want to get to everyone. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm going to go back. I want to show people something that you did that you did. Okay. And it's this FFPC classic win rate by week. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is fascinating. Um, and then, boom. So explain to people what that's about. Uh, I mean, basically all we're just looking at here is how the player's win rate fluctuates on a week-to-week basis based on how they're performing. Um, if you look and you see in week two is when Fournette went off for 27.6 fantasy points. Obviously, that did a good job at boosting his win rate. But then you just see several weeks, um, basically for the rest of the season up until last week's season, where he was giving you little to nothing in the way of production. And where he was being drafted last year really kind of hurt that um, production. I think he was going just inside um, or just outside the top 12 backs, um, if I'm not mistaken. Let me I'm just looking here real quick. Yeah, I mean, he was being drafted as an RB16. So when you're taking him that early, 30.4 overall, that's a, that's a third-round ADP. When you're taking him that early and you're not getting any kind of production, you can see how quickly that win rate starts to fall off when you're just putting up weeks of 0, 4, 10, less than double-digit points. Um, and then he you know, he began to save his win rate a little bit in the last season. But if you drafted later in Fournette, you really weren't doing a lot to help yourself. But I don't think that what we saw in the regular season is necessarily going to be reflective of what we could expect in 2021, which I'm assuming is the direction that you want to kind of take this thing. But I'll let you point us in the direction before I just go go yeah, off talking well, I, about I, it. I think this, um, this, this uh, is very interesting. He, he gave you an eight, if I understand you correctly, he gave you an 8.5 win rate based on this. Well, he gave and you now, a 6.8% win rate last oh, okay. year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 6.8, but now he's being drafted here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, I, I think he, just like Gaskin, it's a very similar, <clears throat> the running backs in this range, so much is dependent upon who goes where and taking some of uncle Lenny, because if he ends up back in Tampa, I I think he'll start creeping up a little bit and then he won't be such a good value. But if he goes somewhere where he can, if not be a bell cow, um, you you can, you know, he's got less competition uh, than you could, you know, where he's being drafted now is going to be a value. So, I think that's where what you're showing, you know, what you're showing here is the uncertainty. Yeah, well, I'm I'm definitely trying to show the uncertainty. The other thing I really just kind of questioning with Fournette is where can he possibly go that you see him going later, lower later than what he's going right now. And I yeah, really and I really I, can't think of a lot I of teams. Him yet. 
Yeah. Uh, and I, I see more negative opportunities than I do positive. Mm-hmm. And I and I don't see him from everything that he's shown the last couple of years, the consistency, staying healthy and being um, consistent. I don't, you know, uh, Dave Hubbard taught me something that I think is, I mean, I knew it, but it, 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 he was the one who went over it with me and really put it in the front of my mind is the only way someone kills you is if he crushes what the guys that you're taking. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that eighth round, if um, let me pull up um, the, the um, explore, you know, the FXPC ADPs and just get it down to running back. Well, no, let's keep it. Let's keep it around for net. So we're going to probably have to go here. Where is Fournette? All right. So he's going around Mostert, Drake, Tyler Boyd, Cortland Sutton. I mean, to me, when I look at this list, you know, I look at Beckham, I look at Sutton, I look at Boyd, I look at Tanyan, I look at, you know, if I, uh, Will Fuller. I mean, that's why I'm not taking Leonard Fournette. And I'm not taking much of Mostert or Drake either. I just think that the drop-off uh, at, um, from the wide receivers to the running backs here are much um, higher than I want. And even though when I draft, you know, because I'm taking a lot more of the running backs in this range, Rashad Penny, I haven't taken Moss yet, uh, Michael Carter, I've been taking some of um, Chubba, uh, Chubba Hubbard. I've been taking some of Tarek Cohen. I think, and you look at the guys around them, and even though they're not as good as the other running backs, I would rather take two or three of these guys because I feel like the drop-off isn't as much. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, Um I mean, I think when it comes down to a guy like Leonard Fournette, if if I'm going to just kind of talk about a little bit from maybe the approach I'm taking with him, um, I don't disagree with what you're saying there. Um, I think this is where you can really kind of argue that depending on the kind of roster you're trying to build out, Leonard Fournette can make sense. So I'm not, I don't necessarily love Leonard Fournette, but I don't think that his ADP can really get much lower than what it is right now. And I think he's going to have an opportunity to turn into a value when he and in my opinion, inevitably signs with the team somewhere to in all likelihood be the starting running back. And where I've been drafting in FFPC drafts lately, um, I believe I've done four, and I have not had a pick higher than the 110. And it's usually about the 106, 107, where I really start to consider doing more of a zero RB approach than I do um, the, the early running back. So for me, getting Fournette as possibly my RB1 or my RB2 in that range, realizing that I've hopefully already padded out my floor with a few solid wide receivers, maybe with a Kittle, maybe with a Waller, to add Fournette as my RB1 with the hope that his, with with the expectation that his ADP is going to rise over the next couple of weeks once he is officially on a team, I think that he will present a tremendous value because I don't see how his ADP can get much lower um, at this point. But if if you're going with the option where, I think what you're laying out is how there's good wide receivers in this range. I mean, I absolutely agree with it. Um, if I'm chasing those wide receivers, it's probably because I had the opportunity to get a couple really solid running backs early. 
Um, and I don't need to look Leonard Fournette's way. Yeah. So going back to shared screen and going back to my draft. So I agree with you. Once you get past uh, like acres at seven. So for me, Barkley is the, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five, <clears throat> six. Those are the six running backs that I'm willing to take. Mm-hmm. And if one of them's there, I tend to take them. And then I really don't take running back for a number of rounds. Yeah. But when you look at what I did in this draft, I got a great value on Miles Sanders at the end of the third round. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, last year Sanders was being drafted right in this one eight, one nine, one ten range. Yep. Um, so I felt like I got a possible number one running back in the third round. And then I did take Gaskin, but then again, when you look at the number of running backs that I take, um, you know, normally you're supposed to, the ideal construction is six. I get two, three, four, five, six, seven. I get, and I put uh, in case I'm right, uh, I'm doubling down on the Gaskin pick with Ahmed. Mm-hmm. And the reason to do that was this, you know, every draft, what, what I think people don't do in drafts is they don't, they're not willing to lose that draft. Right. Like to me, if Gaskin doesn't work out and someone big comes in, this whole team is going to take a hit. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm drafting this team as if Gaskin is going to work out. Yeah. And if he is going to work out getting uh, uh, then Ahmed is probably his backup. And I picked him up in the 28th round. So, you know, what I need for this team to win is two. I'm not looking to use in general. Uh, this is something I got from Sean Siegel. Is I'm not win, looking to win the flex with running backs in best ball. Okay, so I need Sanders to give me what I, I'm, I'm hoping for—a number one running back. Right? I've got a number. I, I went tight end early. Got one of the top tight ends. I got a top wide receiver. I got Terry McLaurin. I got two good uh, quarterbacks. Uh, and, and so this team is built for Gaskin to do what he's supposed to. Uh, but uh, my, my larger point is that I'm trying to get one good running back here in the first three rounds and then take a bunch of shots and just hope to fill that second running, you know, catch lightning in the bottle and, and, and get that second running back spot filled. Um, and, and that's what I'm wondering if, you know, and my question was to you is, do you like that concept? Um, so I, I'm, I'm just trying and, to make sure I understand the question. The no, 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 I understand. So, so is the question, do I like what you did with Gaskin and um, Ahmed with the, with the expectation that if one succeeds, the other is likely to work out as well? Well, that, then he's no, but that isn't what I'm asking. What I'm, I'm saying is the way to attack FFPC drafts is, mm-hmm. you know, is not try and win the draft with running backs, not try and, you know, use them in the flex. I like why I think what, you know, Blair Andrews and a couple of the uh, road of his guys have proven, you know, that wide receivers score more throughout the whole draft than running backs do. Yeah. So I'm trying to win with wide receivers and tight ends and quarterbacks and just cover 
running back enough. So it's not zero RB. Mm-hmm. It, I, I guess they call it modified zero RB, which really means it's one running back. Yeah. Right? I want one good running back. And then I want the rest of, I want to have a lot of guys uh, that profile as good zero RB guys, Rashad Penny, third down catching backs, you know, or James White, someone like that. Um, get, uh, rookies, Gainwell, Chubba Hubbard, you know, to give you that boost, hopefully at the end of the year. I'm asking if you like that one RB strategy for, because I really want, if you're not taking running backs in the first three rounds, you're really giving up value on run it drafting running backs in rounds four through eight. So if I get one now, I just need one of these five or six other dart shots that I'm taking at the position to work out and, and hope the rest of the team works. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So the one thing I, I see what you're saying. I, I completely understand. I see the, the logic behind it. Um, for me, what it really comes down to with trying to get that one running back is really being able to look at a player who I can convince myself is truly um, an elite talent. And if you believe in that being the case for Miles Sanders, then absolutely you can go, you can get him in the third round where you did and hope that he is a guy who is turning out potentially top 12 weeks, week after week. Um, where my concern is, and one of the things that I try to keep in mind, and there's been some stuff done on it at Rotoviz, um, is about the running back dead zone, which is basically spots in the draft where year over year running backs tend to produce lower win rates. Um, if you're taking, say, your RB1 in some of these rounds, which is around the time where it's like round three or four where that starts to pop up. So um, for me personally, if I if I see that I'm going to be starting a draft with a wide receiver or a tight end, it's probably because of where my draft slot is. In your case, at the 111, I would have been doing what you did as well. I just think I would have probably tried to chase a receiver and possibly chase a few more running backs um, with the understanding that I started my draft fading running backs for the first three, four, maybe even five rounds. I got, um, I got an eight pick uh, discount on Miles Sanders. You know, he typically goes three, three. I got him three eleven. I was planning on doing what you said. Yeah. But that's where keeping, you know, I do think Miles Sanders has it in a reasonable possibility to give off first and second round value, mm. right? He was drafted by a lot of smart people last year in the first round for that reason. Yeah. I believe he has the skill set to do that. Now, whether he'll do it in Philly with the new uh, coach and with uh, Jalen Hurts as quarterback, that's why I'm getting him at 311. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, he kind of changed my dynamic. I was, you know, I didn't expect him to be there. Yeah, no, that's completely understandable. I think I had just looked it up. His ADP was like 27th overall. So there you got him at 35th. So I mean, that's definitely a, a nice little value on the ADP front. Um, one question I have with Miles Sanders. Um, and this is something you're certainly free to answer if you'd like to. I'm, I actually want to look it up um, and do an article on it coming up. So I'll, I'll foreshadow that a little bit here. But my debut article on Rotoviz last year was an article about how quarterbacks with rushing upside tend to not do a lot to benefit their wide receivers. And you can head on over to Rotoviz and check it out. It's literally the wide first article. Wide receivers or your running backs? 
your wide receivers. But so my the article I want to look into next, um, particularly as someone who has a vested interest in J.K. Dobbins and my expectation that he was maybe going to do a little bit of receiving work, just which didn't really show up, is how do high-volume rushing quarterbacks affect running backs in the receiving game? I feel like um, from what little bit I've seen on it, it tends to not be that great. We even saw... Um, Taysom Hill last year with with Alvin Kamara. Some of Alvin Kamara's worst games came when he was playing with a quarterback who was more prone to rush um, than obviously Drew Brees was. So I want to look into that a little bit because I feel like if you're going to be taking Miles Sanders in the third round, you're probably banking on him having some receiving upside and not just strictly working out in the rushing game. Yeah, um, and, and I think he'll get enough. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think I did look it up. Mm-hmm. And I think in Hertz starts, um, I think, all right, let's, let's go to the, what tool would we look up? Um, the, the, all right, let's look up best ball, which, which is the one where I'm going to be able to look up Miles Sanders? Uh, well, if you want to, we could take a look at the game splits app. Um, game splits app. Yeah, there we go. Yep. And you can cycle. I would just pull it over all the, the seasons all the way over to 2020. Um, well, when I do this, it won't matter. Well, it will factor in games without Jalen Hurts, even if Jalen Hurts wasn't in the league at that time. Oh, will it? Yeah. If, if you if you do Miles Sanders and you do games without Jalen Hurts, it'll give you all games that he played prior to Jalen Hurts if you don't um, shut it, or narrow it down to just the 2020 yeah, see, season. See, unfortunately, Jalen Hurts was on the bench, so it's not giving us – yeah, it's it's kind of an awkward production because it because there it says there's eleven games that Jalen Hurts played. So in this case, what I would probably look to do is I would go over to the player, um, to the player stat explorer, and we know that Hurts started, I believe, the last four games of the season, 17, 17 through what, fourteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. So select the player. Which player should I do? And the stat explorer, I'll just go ahead and go with Miles Sanders. Yeah. And I'm going to scroll down. I'm going to look at that chart. And you can see a couple of games where he did well. But then if you go over, I'm on my computer. I'm going to look at your computer. So if yeah, you see, look, look, yep. week, week 14 and 16 were some of his best weeks. That was yeah. my memory. So, so go over to where it says PPR on the far left-hand side just above the chart. Yep. You can select, um, I'm, well, no, just no, just below it. Where it says weekly stat explorer yeah. above the bar graph. Yep. And it says PPR. Click on that drop-down menu, and let's go to. We can check out um, all the way down at the bottom. Is actually there's opportunities, but let's, we're talking about him as a receiver. So let's go. Let, if you scroll through there, you can see targets. Um, I'm doing it as well, and looking at it it's, for the it's still pretty good. Yeah, it is. Through the course of the season, Sanders Two averaged four point three targets. Were with because even though he's a running quarterback, yeah. if his running lanes, what that does is, if Sanders is coming out of the backfield and they're so concerned with keeping Hurts from running, and the and the and and he's going to run because the receivers are covered. If they're if they're spying him, then that makes Sanders wide open for drop offs. Yeah, yeah. There's there's ways for him to 
win based on how the team is playing hurts. I, um, I could be crazy, but you know, I, I did research this a little bit and I am, I am, I, I, I like Sanders in the third a lot. I yeah. mean, I've been taking him in the third, you know, <clears throat> a couple times and a lot earlier than when I took him. And mm-hmm. then when you go back and you look at my team, you also notice that I drafted both Jalen Rager and Travis Fulgham because, you know, stacking works and the draft capital, you know, your point about them hurting the wide receivers, the running quarterbacks is true, mm-hmm. but how, what do I need out of a 14th and a, and a, and a 22nd round guy, 23rd round guy versus the upside of the few. In other words, what you want when you draft in general, <clears throat> when you're drafting guys past like where Hubbard is, you're only looking for about three weeks of production, right? If you can get more, great. But anybody who gives you three or four <clears throat> weeks production this late is a big advantage. So by getting both Fulgham and Rager so cheap with Hertz, I've got cheap stacks. I don't need much. My opportunity cost in doing that isn't much. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think that when you when you factor in the cost to acquire to uh, complete these stacks, certainly, um, you know, you're 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 drafting Hurts because you're hoping that he's going to give you some some top twelve weeks. But after that, the rest of the guys, like you said, you're just kind of hoping that at some point they get there and that they do it more than once. And if they do, then hopefully you'll see the value return, and then it just becomes more about the how. How well did they get there compared to, like you said, the other players around you? The only time you're really losing is when the people who are taking players around that same area are beating you with those players. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I, I think that that's good. Um, Jalen Hurts is one of my favorite players um, for fantasy this year, so I'm, I'm hopeful that he is able to uh, prove to be well worth his ADP and that at the end of the day he ends up out or uh, yeah, out, out producing his ADP because I'm hoping to get a little bit more of him before the season starts here. Yeah, and the last uh, situation you cover a little bit um, at running back is interesting. Um, and I wasn't on Jeffrey Wilson; I was on Mostert. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you and some other people <clears throat> on Twitter have given me a, a different view to look at. Uh, what is your thought on uh, that situation? So my thought on that situation comes comes down to a couple things. Um, I actually did dive more into uh, some Jeff Wilson takes on my le- last article at Rotoballer as well. So if at some point in time you ever want to check that out, certainly feel free to. But um, you know, right now I kind of go back to what we even saw with the 49ers and how they treated Raheem Mostert last year. Uh, they were pretty reluctant to give him a contract ext- or not an extension because they ended up not giving an extension. They just basically gave him more money on his contract. They were pretty reluctant to give him more money early on. And there were even rumors that he might be a holdout or that he could, um, you know, end up being traded or whatever, if he wasn't happy. Um, and then they ended up giving him the deal. But what I find interesting is that we watched them hesitate to give, most are more money on a deal um, after, you know, he, he came out of nowhere. He was explosive. He played great in the playoffs, helped them get to the Super Bowl. And then they're reluctant to give him money. And we see the exact opposite with Jeff Wilson, who also happens to be, I think, like three or four years younger than Mostert. 
Um, he's going to be a restricted free agent. At least he was going to be. And the, the 49ers basically said that they're not even willing to risk losing him in restricted free agency. They just, they want to make sure they have him locked up. So they end up, you know, working on his deal, signing him to uh, a new contract at the beginning of this season. And he was their leading rusher last year. He was an incredibly efficient rusher and they locked him up early. So I think that if you just kind of look at the behavior of the team and how they decided to treat one running back this year compared to another running back last year, who you could argue kind of probably deserved some of the money he was requesting. I mean, most of it was a key part of their success in that previous season and they were reluctant and we've seen the exact opposite with Jeff Wilson. Uh, we've seen him be efficient. We've seen him uh, have a lot of spike weeks. It seems like every time they give him the ball, he's just the, the best running back that they have on the roster. And to, to know that I can get him after most of it right now to, to know that they made a point to go out of their way and get him locked up before teams could even offer him deals and restricted free agency just kind of tells me that there's more in plan and play for him um, than maybe what his ADP is suggesting right now. And I don't think people are completely aware of it just yet because I mean, I, if, if, if Raheem Mostert is, I even, I mean, I put my article. If Raheem Mostert's on my team, it's probably because I fell asleep and had him auto drafted because I'm not actively trying to acquire him when I can get Wilson later. And I think that he's actually going to be the back to own um, when the season starts for San Francisco, at least between those two. Obviously, they could bring in a free agent or a rookie, but if they don't, Wilson is a guy who I'd rather hitch my wagons to over Mostert and you get him at a better price. Yeah. I, I... I came up with a term called stack huffing, where <laughs> you take two running backs um, right around where these two guys are going. Mm-hmm. And because you think about it, if one of them ends up being the starter and the stud, mm-hmm. um, they're going to give you third round value, second, third round, fourth round value. Um, and would you trade your eighth and 10th round pick for a second round outcome? Um, I'm always hesitant to do that with Kyle Shanahan because, and he was the guy who really uh, got me on stack cuffing with uh, Freeman and Coleman when he was the offensive coordinator there. So um, I'm, you know, I, I just worry about him finding someone because neither of them have a lot of money behind them. Uh, depending on how the draft goes, how free agency goes, I wouldn't be shocked if they added another back. Mm-hmm. And Shanahan tends to fall in love. But if you believe that those are the two backs on the roster, and, and once we get more clarity, if they stay about where they are, um, I wouldn't mind stack cuffing them and and then let letting it, you know, again, back to my theory of in the drafts where I did that, I'm counting on one of those two. You know, I'm not going to do it every draft. I might do it in 10% of drafts. But in those 10%, I'm probably going to get a number one running back by taking somebody in the eighth and the 10th round. So that's uh, one of my tricks. I don't use it very often. I'm looking for very specific things, but those two are on my radar for doing that. Um, And I think that if you're guessing which of the two, I think, again, uh, I'm a high-volume player. I wouldn't just avoid Mostert. Because if he's the guy, you're going to be kicking yourself that you have 40, you know, 30% of uh, Jeffrey Wilson and Mostert's the guy, you know, and he's killing you because he was an eighth round pick and he's given third round value. So 
my recommendation is draft a little bit of Mostert. Uh, and, 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 and even with the injury factor, even if you're right, what if Wilson, you know, Wilson got the chance when Mostert got hurt, it could work the other way the next year. So those are my thoughts on that one. Yeah, no, that, I, I think that that's a pretty good, um, pretty good way to kind of go about, I probably will have some Mostert, um, I know I didn't completely make it clear in the article, but obviously I was kind of elaborating more so at this current time with, you know, not wanting him, but, um, you know, I, like you He's said, been dropping. most yeah. of it's been dropping. Yeah. All right, let's, I want to get a couple of, I, I hate to cut you off, but uh, let's do a, a, like a quick bonus round mm-hmm. uh, where you give me 15 seconds on each player at your wide receiver position. Curtis Samuel, you said there's been no movement since you wrote about him. I love him at ADP. Would you agree? Yeah, I do agree. Um, I'm actually trying to hurry up and pull this article up here real quick, but I do agree. I think that Curtis Samuel is going to be a player who's going to um, rise very quickly um, based on how he performed last season and the fact that he kind of did it as a wide receiver three on his own team. Uh, I think that his value is going to shoot up a handful of rounds, and I definitely would be chasing Curtis Samuel. Um, he's been going as a wide receiver 45, which I just think is far too low and that it won't last once he signs on a new team. Deontay Johnson. Uh, again, I agree with you. People are getting way too caught up with these drops. Uh, Juju's gone. Uh, you're writing about him. Is it because you like, uh, Deontay at ADP? Yeah, I do like Deontay at ADP. Uh, he's going as a wide receiver 22, so he's almost going as a wide receiver uh, three. You know, it's essentially a top 24 is wide receiver wide receiver two territory. After that, wide receiver 25 is wide receiver three territory. So he's going almost as a wide receiver three. And one thing that I did break down because, and I, I know some people hate when you say, well, if this didn't happen, then maybe this wouldn't happen. But De- uh, Deontay Johnson had two games in which he played a combined, I think it was 25 snaps because he got injured early. And that obviously sucks and it's frustrating when you're dealing with it in the week. But if you remove those two weeks um, from weeks three and five, where he basically was inactive for those weeks, his points per game average jumps from 17.1 to 14.9. And that is um, a tremendous amount of production for um, a wide receiver. If you can be getting 17.1 points per game, um, out of your wide receiver that's that's great kind of no matter where you're taking him but if you're getting him as possibly your wide receiver three even depending on how you're drafting why wouldn't you want to be getting him um at his current adp which is uh about the fifth round the end of the fifth round i think he's a great value right now marquise brown is a faller he has been falling i i thought he was going i didn't know a lot i love the player i think he has special skills I think that uh, Lamar Jackson's regression was harsher than I expected. Um, but I was fading most Ravens last year. Mm-hmm. This year, I think uh, you're going to get a little bit of a bounce back of with him as a thrower. And I got him in this draft at 107, which is even a little bit further than what you have his ADP at, at 104.8. Because he is a spike week guy, I like him where I took him, uh, but I certainly um, get your point that uh, before the drop, he was a guy to avoid. Yeah, and and um, I think that you know at the time that I wrote the article again, it was February first, the Super Bowl wasn't even passed, but um, but teams were already drafting, and people I think still had in their mind that Marquise Brown ended I think his last handful of games with like a touchdown every single week, and that's going to obviously build some confidence in him as a player going forward. But 
Um, you know, the Ravens are probably going to be taking a wide receiver at some point in the draft if they don't sign one in free agency first. Uh, I think Marquise Brown's value is going to dip when that ha- or his price is going to dip when that happens. I don't think that his ADP is as low as it's going to end up falling by the time the season starts. And I just think that um, his talent offers uh, a lot of upside from his ability to, you know, explode down the field and take any any ball the distance. So I I do think he will fall. He wasn't one of my favorite players for last season. I was not high on him, um, you know, heading into the season. But it, the further he continues to drop, the more I'll probably be drafting him just because I, I don't doubt his ability. I just don't think the offense that he's in is built for him to have the spike weeks you'd probably be looking for in those earlier ranges. I, th- I could see him possibly being somewhere around wide receiver 40 to 50 by the time the season starts, which just sounds crazy given where we were out on last year. But I, I wouldn't be completely surprised depending on how free agency in the draft goes for the Ravens. And I'm a buyer there. So we're late in the draft. I want three weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, in that tenth, eleventh round, if I can get six to eight weeks, I'm I'm happy. Yeah, and I think that that's a pretty reasonable floor for him. You know, I think he's a six to to eight touchdown guy, mm-hmm. um, and I think that the, there's going to be weeks where he gets two. So yeah. if they add another receiver, I don't think that will hurt him. I think if they get like a Kenny Galladay type or someone good, I think that'll open up the field, uh, giving leaving him in single coverage more where his speed can just blow by guys. So, um, again, I like him where I took him. Um, it's so funny how many guys that um, you talked about that I drafted. The next one is Tyler Lockett. And yeah. I'm not I, – I he's another guy I faded last year, and he had that one big week. But I had Russ. I needed another wide receiver. And I thought eighth-round Tyler Lockett, that's right around where I think he has value. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I th- I think that Lockett has potential to still be. I mean, I don't think he's a bad receiver. I think that he was an incredibly frustrating receiver to have for most of the season. Which, if you just look at the chart that I provided in the article, you can clearly see that he wasn't giving you a lot for most of the season after week seven. But um, you know, he's going to have Russell Wilson. Hopefully, if he doesn't, then that's his ADP is probably going to drop depending on who the the quarterback is there if it's not him. And the only reason I could really see his ADP falling a little bit more if we're ignoring the Russ situation for a second, assuming Russ stays, is still the possibility that there's some receivers going around where his ADP currently is who could potentially be first-round draft picks like Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, or wide receivers who could find themselves in wide receiver one or high-end wide receiver two roles um, during free agency like Juju Smith-Schuster or Will Fuller, depending on where they go. So I could see Lockett's ADP possibly slipping a bit, even if the Seahawks retain Wilson, but it doesn't necessarily have as much to do with him as it does those wide receivers around him. And possibly being pushed up just a little bit because of either where they go in the draft or how free agency unfolds in the coming weeks. Yeah. So um, I got Jonu Smith, another guy you wrote about. We're mm-hmm. going to finish up with two uh, tight ends. Uh, one is Jonu. I, dra- I got him in as the 15th tight end off the board. And, and, and he's the kind of play that I love. You yeah. know, a really talented guy who – People are frustrated with and, mm-hmm. you know, they assume, you know, he's going to end up being uh, in a place where he's fighting off two other tight ends and it just might not happen. Uh, I think, you know, he's got a great floor at tight end 15 and the talent to crush uh, the other guy that you talked about with Kyle Pitts. Mm-hmm. I I struggled to draft rookie tight ends that early. 
Um, what was your take on both Janu and Fant to finish up? Uh, on Pitts, um, I, th- I think you meant. On Pitts, right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, my take on John, who is kind of exactly what you said, super talented player who's really just probably had his upside capped a little bit by the fact that he's playing an offense behind Derrick Henry and a team that just runs the ball pretty much as much as they can. Um, you know, and having a good player like A.G. Brown probably doesn't help him in case in the case of targets, but Johnny Smith has just been a, an explosive player. He's been an efficient player with the ball in his hands, and he's really someone who I think could po- could shine, um, you know, when put in the right situation, when put in the situation where he can see five, six, seven targets a game, um, which just hasn't happened as much as I think we would, would have hoped for um, during his time with with um, with the Titans. So I'm hopeful that he lands at a spot where teams can utilize him. I think I heard someone the other day on a podcast throw out the idea of uh, of the Bengals being a possible landing spot where Drew Sample, despite not producing very much from a fantasy perspective, after he um, kind of took over the spot when C.J. Uzoma went down, um, Drew Sample still run a lot, ran a lot of routes to the tight end. The Bengals were not afraid to run their tight ends out there. So if John o. Smith goes into a pass-heavy offense, an offense that's probably still going to be trailing a lot in 2021, uh, I could and they let him run the routes, I could see him being a very um, – a very good fantasy option at tight end, especially in the FFPC tight end premium. Let me throw out a uh, where I think he's going to land. I think he's yeah. going to end up on the Jets. Okay. Um, he's a better blocker than people realize. You don't mm-hmm. have to take him off the field. Um, Robert Sala is, um, you know, they've got more money than anybody pretty much. Mm-hmm. To spend. They have no weapons. And Sala saw what George Kittle could do. You know, a blocking uh, a blocking guy who could you know who has talent. So I'm going to throw out the Jets as John who's landing spot, mm-hmm. and a lot will depend on who the quarterback is and how, what else they do with all that money and those draft picks. Uh, but um, it's, I don't think it's his ideal spot, but I think it's a very likely spot for him. Uh, yeah, Pitts. Yeah, um, real quick on John, it could be very well the Jets. So the team that I actually pitched earlier this week was the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence and them kind of still needing a like tight end. Um, so I think that would be awesome. As far as Kyle, yeah, I would love to see that. Um, as far as Kyle Pitts goes, um, I had him mentioned as a follower in my article back in February, and that was more so just because, um, which I kind of even cover with Hunter Henry a little bit, but we don't have to get into that, but is there are a lot of teams that probably are more locked up at tight end than um than not and there are also some teams that could be picking early who have a good tight end already and my concern with Pitts is that he's going as a tight end 12 right now he's actually going to tight end 11 he's going to tight end 12 in February so he's moved up slightly and my concern is just kind of that he lands at a spot where teams can't use him right away I know people say you know he's the generational talent he's unlike any player we've ever seen at the position and that could all very well be the case um and I'm not saying that he can't be that I'm just saying that I'm old enough to remember when OJ Howard uh, Ingram and um, who was the uh, and and Njoku were, yeah were, were you know and and I, I think people like Pitts more than that. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that you lose a lot of money fading early uh, first year tight ends who are going in the eighth round. Yeah, and I don't either. And and I think that what I'm kind of would if 
my expectation for Kyle Pitts falling is like that's what I want to happen. I want to try to get in on him, but I don't want to do it at his current price tag. And I think that if I, I would love to have some, yeah, I would love to have some. I don't want him where I he's can going get John right now. Two rounds later, exactly. And Johnny, you might be able to look at it in a more definite situation, especially in the coming weeks where he'll Man, probably be on a team. Sorry. And um, and we still have to wait on Kyle Pitts. So if Kyle Pitts falls, I'm all in on him because I, I'm I'm willing to buy the buy the hype on him as a as a player and as a talent. But if I see him dipping into like that tight end 14, tight end 15 range because people aren't as wild about his landing spot as they are right now, um, that that's what I want. And then you know, obviously, even if we do know his landing spot and it's a good one, I'm still probably going at that point in time be willing to maybe even pull the trigger a little bit earlier than i was right now so it's a wait and see for me but i just do not want to be too in on kyle pitts right now realizing that there's a an opportunity for his adp to really move one way or another um after the draft awesome um zachary uh kruger um you can find him at ff troglodyte on twitter for now at least um thank you so much uh love the article love your work um and love what you did here today. Hopefully we get you back on soon. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It was uh, it's a pleasure rapping with you in the Twitter streets. And uh, definitely have me back on. I'd love to be able to do this during the offseason. Yep. Uh, I, I think you passed the audition. <laughs> Thank I'll you. Talk I to you later. I'll talk, uh, hang on. I'm, I'm going to end the broadcast and we'll talk. Okay.